every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Melissa Rosenthal, Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp. ClickUp is an all-in-one productivity platform that brings teams, tasks, and tools together in one place. Melissa is an award-winning marketing executive focused on making the world more productive through best-in-class software-as-a-service marketing. On this episode, Melissa shares her insights into creating champions of your brand, the importance of taking bets in marketing, and ways to differentiate your brand from competitors. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Melissa Rosenthal and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by a special guest. Melissa, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, excited to chat with you today. We're going to be talking creative, we're going to be talking brand, and all things that a chief creative officer would do at ClickUp. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing in the first place? I kind of fell into it by way of joining a very early stage startup called BuzzFeed. I'd always been interested in marketing my entire adolescence. I helped my dad do event marketing. He had worked at an event marketing company. So really like always loved that ability to reach people and build relationships. Then at BuzzFeed, it kind of really came into fruition about how we turned our content model and our, our media model into a business model and being able to figure that out and market both our brand, but also being able to work with partners. So it clarified there. From then on, I went on to do marketing in many different ways. It hasn't really been linear. It's been a lot of like collective experiences across different types of marketing and different roles. And tell me about what the chief creative officer does at ClickUp. Yeah, absolutely. So here at ClickUp, I touch on everything as it relates to the ClickUp brand. So anywhere you interact, experience ClickUp, that is my team. So from design to social to our motion graphics, our performance ads, or even our Super Bowl ad, we do everything in-house. All right, let's get into our first segment. We're going to the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? That's where we can <laughs> feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. What does ClickUp do? ClickUp is a productivity platform that allows for work and collaboration and really brings all of your work into one place. So instead of switching between a million different apps to try to get things done, all of your teams, all of your work occur in our platform, which is really awesome. I love working 
within ClickUp as a creative person. It just makes everything a lot more streamlined, able to work with a lot of people, get a lot of ideas from the visibility that we're able to see across the company. It's a testament to, to being able to market something really great is being able to be excited about using it every day. What's the size of your customer? Who are you predominantly selling to? And tell me a little bit more about those customers. So the beauty of what we're doing and the challenge is that we're selling to everyone. So from teams of two to teams of thousands of people, we are marketing across one to thousands. And then in terms of the actual segments, it's, it's across every segment. So HR teams use us, engineering teams use us, marketing teams use us. So you could effectively go wall to wall, have your entire company use ClickUp. And we'll get into a lot more of that later here. So who's the buying committee? Who are the personas that you care about? Yeah, I mean, anyone that can really influence a decision over their specific department, obviously, as you go up, those decision makers change. But we have anywhere from managers to VPs who are using us. The motion has been bottoms up up until now. So we find that we spread very quickly within internal organizations. It's a very viral kind of product when you have other teams that are using it and see the visibility that they're able to have and how they're able to become more efficient and save time using the tool. You know, within small teams, it can be, you know, managers to VPs to then eventually the CIOs, large decision makers at at the bigger enterprise companies and levels. Yeah. And how is your marketing team structured? Obviously, you know, you sit on the creative side of the house. How do you work within sales marketing and your go-to-market? So a lot of the go-to-market outside of sales is handled by growth. And we partner with growth very closely on pretty much everything. There's always a creative and asset component to everything that we're doing on the campaign, integrated campaign side, as well as a lot of the performance content that we're creating. The performance content, of course, is judged by CAC and CAC payback, but there's a lot that we do that effectively helps us build our brand for the performance videos that we put out. We build a machine to be able to test very quickly and iterate, and we can go into that too. But then, you know, infusing our brand into that and making sure that they feel very unique to us. Because eventually, if you're just selling features, you're just throwing out features, you're going to not be able to really build that brand and win. So we like to marry the two, make sure that we create a lot of awesome ads that convert, but also build brand equity. And um, what's your creative strategy? Yeah. So when I joined ClickUp two years ago now, coming into a company of like 60 people that people had heard of in a very small kind of niche community, I would say ClickUp had a loyal fan base, which is a part of why I joined the company to start. What I really noticed is the ability to differentiate by building brand. And what does that mean? Again, it's that infusion of a personality and a feeling in everything that you do, from the tone of how you talk to your customers, to the way that your social voice behaves, to the design elements and and aesthetics that you choose on every single asset, to your motion graphics language, to the videos that you produce, that all should have like a cohesity to it that feels very human and is able to personify the company and the product in a way that just selling features would never do. So the North Star was to really humanize the brand and humanize the product and infuse that into every experience that you have. How does that roll into your overall marketing strategy? We're focused on building a 30, 40, 50 year brand. And I think that when you're not looking for a short term, that's a strategy that you decide on and you emphasize. So it it plays very heavily into our long term strategy, because, of course, with acquisition and focus on certain aspects of growth and go to market strategy, you also kind of need to pair a brand in there. If you have a long term vision for a company, it's really never too early to start to build on that. It was really important early on outside of, you know, making sure that 
we can master the other motions is to build brand and build that equity and rent space in people's minds so that we're always top of mind. And it is very like traditionally, I would say a B2C approach. B2C very much believes in brand advertising and in that top of funnel as well as the bottom funnel metrics. And that was the vision. It was let's marry those two things because they're equally as important, especially as you get further down the line and maybe your dollars spent per acquisition become less efficient. What do you have to rely on? It's community, moat, and brand. When you're building a community and building a brand, when you're speaking to so many different types of buyers and so many different size companies, are you segmenting those people? Is ClickUp the same to everyone? I'm curious how you think about that. I believe in ultimate personalization. I would say as a high level from a brand account, like you are putting out more general content, more general productivity content as it speaks to holistically what you look to achieve. And then as you go, you know, or as you become more targeted towards different segments, the content that you create is more personalized for them. So we're able to do that on many of the different advertising fronts and go-to-market methods that we have. But there's kind of like brand as you see it overall, and then the different segments and how you speak to them. But the brand still ladders up to those segments. It's just obviously you're speaking to them with different pain points and things that they're struggling with and solutions that will work for them as opposed to more generic. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where we go to the playbook. You open that thing up and we talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? I would have to say the three tactics seem probably almost trivial, but they're very important, which is one is just continuing to take big bets. And these are things that will separate us from our competition in the future and things where we know that the growth is exponential outside of just pushing money through a funnel, really where we've put a lot of our chips, which are on these bigger bets. So I would say that's definitely one strategy. The other is the infusion of brand into everything that we do. That's the second one. I think it's easy to try to mass produce things that don't really tie back to what you do, making sure that experiences echo throughout both the product and the marketing on the brand side and the performance side. And really it touches everything that we do is really important. So that's number two. And number three is having that startup growth mindset when we're thinking about marketing. So exploring channels that might be brand new, having that kind of innovative, inventive, you know, thought process and mindset is really important. These more are more like I would say kind of philosophies. You can use the go-to-market B2B playbook and you'll get probably the same results as everyone else. While we do a lot of that, we always try to infuse something different into it and then also take these other bets that potentially others aren't taking or thinking about. My meeting before this, we we're planning a blog post about portfolio content marketing of like placing big, big bets and seeing part of your portfolio more like a VC portfolio that could return the value of the... We're all in on that strategy. I love mm -hmm. that. Why do you think about things like that? Is it just that Facebook and Google are gobbling up so much money and it doesn't return enough value over time? And you got to keep dumping it in. Like, Why do you want to place big bets? I mean, yes, of course, that's like always a part of the answer. But the other answer is like, how do you truly become a hundred billion dollar company if that's your goal? And it's really to do that. And it's something that you that might be unexpected that comes out as the front runner or the way that you've actually been able to achieve that and go up market and also be able to like really dominate the market share. And I think that there are so many creative things that you're able to do now and creative ways to think about just growth in general that will 
outlast any dollar that you physically spend on performance, that it's really important to do that. Because otherwise you might be left behind with just the short-term acquisition funnel dries up and what do you do? So you have to have a bunch of these levers that you can pull or things that you're working on, you know, as you grow to be able to then leverage those as the ecosystem changes within performance marketing and spend. So I think you know, that's one. And two, like you you have to think about creative ways to grow organically. And of course you can seed some of that organic growth, but that's really what's going to be like your viral coefficient moving forward. It's that figuring out what those like factors are. So those are the big bets that we're thinking about all the time. I know you can't share all of them, but you got to give us a couple. Like what are the big bets? I know you, you did a Super Bowl ad. How do you think about making these big bets? Like how do you invest? So just to touch on the Super Bowl, that was definitely a long-term process. It was, you know, a a year plus of testing different creatives in market, being experimental, building our brand voice, knowing what we could do well. We did the Super Bowl ad with the internal, our internal team. So like understanding what our strong suits were and how we can bring things to life and how we connect with people in a smart and humorous way was definitely something that we knew we could place a bet on because we had just done the work that we were confident we'd be able to pull it off in a really great way. So that was definitely a big bet. I think there are other big bets that are, you know, Super Bowl is still, it's, it's one day. You get a lot of the press, you get a lot of the residuals, which is great. Like we still see deals come in and reference that or people reference it all the time. A lot of the other pieces are just kind of consistent growth, like on all fronts. So I definitely believe in building people as media channels. I did this at my last company and it was just a huge growth lever for us because there's a lot of value in building people and versus brands as the funnel to the brand. So that's a big bet that we're definitely placing. It's producing meaningful content and tying the brand in a relevant way and being able to have that exponential reach so that you're touching everyone with human thoughts and perspectives. It just feels much more authentic when it's coming from people and people follow people. That's definitely a big bet that we're placing, which is the ability to scale people as media channels and funnels to the brand versus just building a brand channel. I think about it this all the time because we have 43 shows that we produce and all of those have different hosts. We think about this stuff all the time. So a couple things to dig in there on the building people as media brands. First off, from what we've seen, it seems like the algorithm rewards this. And like specifically LinkedIn wants people sharing content. In terms of brands sharing content, it just doesn't, you just don't see as much reach. Is that what you found? Yeah, what I actually found out the other day is all brands on LinkedIn are actually competing for a total bucket of 20% of all reach on LinkedIn. So you're competing in a much smaller subset than you think you are, which makes sense. Brands definitely don't have the reach that people have. You don't see brands going viral on LinkedIn the way that you see people. The reality is that you're actually all playing for this 20% bucket versus the 80% that you can capture by creating content as a person. It's such a great point. We learned this lesson with Facebook. Yeah. I mean, our CEO was meeting with Zuckerberg and like we thought we were best friends with Facebook. And when they pulled the the rails from underneath us and said, nope, now we're going to reward organic content from people and brands have to pay to play, it, it effectively just crushed a lot of what we were doing. And I think that reliance on building brand versus people, it's a lesson we probably learned a long time ago, but it's still tried and true. I think still people fight the grain and still try to build the brand because they think that's the way and it's exactly what you're doing and you're putting case studies out. And sure, you can do that, but 
leveraging people as funnels is the way to go, the way to build that. It's about like real authentic things that people can take away. And I think that's tried and true. That follows through to brand, right? People want like authentic ways that things will help them. And I think from a human perspective, like that can come from a person that works at the company and it can really flow through to the brand itself. We're all people behind this building this product and there's no reason why we can't share our own stories along the way that help funnel to the brand. I would say, in my opinion, I think that there's like a step beyond that where I think that companies could, if they found certain people, you don't need to coach them up to be polarizing, but some people are just naturally like that. And again, not, not, not that it needs to be polarizing, but some people are more direct and some people are not as direct. I think it's all about letting people use their authentic voice. And I think that's also how you have extended reach, right? You're reaching different people because different people want to follow different types of advice, different thought processes. So yeah, diversification within like the portfolio of who's speaking on behalf of the company is really important. Yeah, I think that when people get carried away with this stuff, I think that they say like, this one person is going to be the spokesperson of this company. How do you choose those people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's people that are excited to grow their own brand as well as contribute to thought leadership. I think it's a really great, you know, way into the public speaking circuit if they're interested in that. So there's some personal benefits as well. And people are excited to share their story and actually connect with people. And I think a a lot of this allows you to do that on a very personal level. So in deciding, it's people that are very valuable at the company who do really cool things, have an impact, have a voice, and are interested in being able to do this. I think it's like that empowerment and that, that mindset of like, hey, everyone can do this. You all have something to say. So if you're able to really empower them and think through it with them and give them guidance, guideposts and frameworks of how they can speak on behalf of the company and speak on behalf of their own experience. Why not do it on a really consistent basis and make thoughtful and educational with takeaways? I love all the stuff that you just said. One other thing that I think is important to talk about here with this is like people are so afraid to do this at their companies because they're worried that their employees will leave. And I've always looked at this as this is the classic yes, if you yes. train your people and they leave or well, what happens if you don't train them and they stay, right? <laughs> that is such a fear-based like negative way of looking at things. Yeah. If that person yeah. leaves and they spent three years as like someone who carried a lot of support for us, guess what? They're still going to be doing that at their next company. They're still going to be drumming up leads at their next company. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think a lot of people that I work with see the value over the fear of investing in someone. We're also investing in people all that the goal here is to grow every day. So we want to give people opportunities and new experiences and they're going to do things that in their career here are going to make them more valuable in markets. Okay. Any other big bets that you've placed or even things that, that you think that folks could be making bets on? I would say less bets and more like mindset. I would say the mindset of being a little edgy is something that can be very polarizing, but I think if done in a fun and authentic and lighthearted way can really move mountains because people are afraid to do it. So I think taking some of the bets that others are afraid to do or that you're able to do now while you're in maybe pre-public, still private, you're able to punch up is definitely a big bet. We did that a lot with Atlassian and and certain things that we've done with our marketing strategy and in trying to win different segments like EPD teams. And some of the stuff that we did was certainly polarizing, but you have to be polarizing in a way to really reach people. I'm curious to your thought on this. So people, when they are scared to make a polarizing bet, and again, like not polarizing, Mm -hmm. like we're not like announcing you're 
political right. affiliations or whatever, right. but something polarizing. They say that it's quote off brand as someone who's like a champion of brand and steward of brand. Is that stuff actually off brand? I think it depends on the way that you do it. There's definitely like a creative process to doing it in a way that can come off like smart. <laughs> and I think there are ways to do it very lowbrow that are not going to be construed that way that could technically be very off brand how you kind of present yourselves in market. But I do think like if it ladders up to that North Star that you create and you kind of are able to say, this is our brand persona and I think we can get away with this. This is how we do it. I think there are smart ways to do that. I think there's also other data that supports certain decisions that you might make versus not make considering some of the more polarizing campaigns that we've run, the company that we included in those ads had become a very like culturally mainstream thing to joke about. And I think that allowed us to feel comfort in the ability to connect with people that were also going through those struggles with that company and with that product. And the fact that it had kind of pierced through mainstream into different memes that you would see on different channels was really the crux of like, all right, we can do this because this entire movement is almost celebrated with on the internet. So taking that and creating a campaign around it was kind of this strategic thing of like, yes, we should do that. Now, had that not happened and had we not seen that, would we have made that bet? I don't know. Would we have gone as like strongly against them and in certain ads that we created? I'm not sure. But I think the fact that we saw that happening and the different cues that you can take from the internet and things that are happening definitely are a driver in those decisions. And then obviously there's a creative process to make sure it's done well. I'm curious, how many times do those folks get hit up by prospects and customers that just want to chat with them or talk to them versus talking to a salesperson? Because I think that this is something that we see a lot, like events is a great example. If you did a small event and for chief product officers, that chances are they're probably going to want to talk to your chief product officer more than they're going to want to talk to an AE, right? And so I'm curious, do you see from a sales perspective, people reaching out to them? I mean, personally, people reach out to me all the time that run agencies and they see my content and they are like, hey, how do you do this for this or this for this? And they want really like, like quick anecdotal like information on very specified things within creative teams or marketing agencies they can utilize. I mean, I'm, of course, I'll answer that and like discuss it with them for a little bit and then be like, if you want any help, I'll connect you to a salesperson. But I'm very open to having those conversations. I think the more human like you can put into the world, including your executives and people that work at the company who can act as ambassadors and customer service reps and kind of like really embody like a piece of the company. Like this is my company too. And we all have a stake in it and we want to act as representatives of it to help further it. I think that's obviously a big part of it. The more that you put out into the world, the more people are going to want to connect you with you on certain topics. There's a balance of what you're able to handle. But I, I mean, 100%, I talk to people all the time that reach out on, on LinkedIn and other platforms about very specific use cases, like when how do we manage all of our billboard inventory and all of our spending across out of home in ClickUp? And I'll you know, either send them a template or we'll create something on, on and then be like, hey, we should maybe, you know, more people want to know about this. We should probably create some larger format or of content that can reach a wider audience because there's definitely interest here. So it funnels both ways, but absolutely, like I'll have those one-on-one -on -one conversations before those people hit sales when they reach out to me. I think that's part of it. That's part of building people as funnels. Yeah, we had that with a with a podcast host where they kept getting hit up for basically like 
essentially demos. And it was this person's time is now like kind of talking to prospects. And I was like, this is the best thing possible for your company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever they were doing before, now this, this is their new job. Like, I'm sure you can backfill whatever they used to be doing. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's definitely not a ton of time, but it's so valuable for the company. So if you can create all of the people who are not salespeople to be salespeople in, in effect that they can just talk and answer questions, you're going to build something really valuable over time. What is one maybe most cuttable item or what's one area of marketing that, that you think is not working that well or maybe something you won't be investing in going forward? We are still like on the cusp of figuring out a lot of things that will work long tail for us and the things that we will not be scaling. I think it, it's hard to say right now because we're such in a phase of like seeing what fully bakes and experimenting in many different ways that you can ask me that question in six months and I'll have a probably a very different answer on like where I think things will be. But a lot of the things that we're into now are working for us currently. Will they scale beyond that in the next three to six months? TBD. I think that also is a very heavily dependent on ecosystem, marketing ecosystem as a whole. But I think new channels will emerge and we need to always kind of be thinking about those new channels as older channels become less, less efficient. So I don't know if there's anything we're cutting right now, but I think everything needs to be firing on all cylinders and then you trim the fat of what isn't working and replace it with something that new or a new bet that you're going to take. How do you view the ClickUp website? The website obviously is a huge funnel for us. People land there and we need to give them the best experience possible. So the strategy for the site is like constant, constant, constant testing and optimization. It's testing a million different things all the time. I mean, very small nuances of tests that we're always running. And after we see those results, we keep the winners, starve the losers, and then continue to iterate and test on that control and try to beat the control. So that's happening at all times, right? And I think we're always trying to think about like ways we can enhance the experience, make it more customized, personalized, make it joyful too. We'd certainly want people to experience some type of emotion when they land on the page or go through different modules or different, different parts of the site where they're considering using us or they're thinking about what the product can help them or their teams or their entire companies do. Is it easy, easy to understand and use, right, from a user perspective? And the answer is like, we're always optimizing that as well. From content, we're doing tons of content tests all the time. It's just, it's like a, an ever evolving piece of living, breathing material. You can think of it like that. It's like physically just constantly growing. Do you have any other things from the playbook that you want to share? Any other, any campaigns that have went particularly well that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think the playbook is also like having, allowing your teams to have like a very creative mindset where no matter who you are, like empowering them to think about things that you can do that will garner attention in like creative ways. And I always use this reference because I never have seen any other company do it, but it came from my BuzzFeed days where the goal was to make everything viral, right? So you're just looking at this from this perspective of like, can I make this viral? Does this work? And the answer is you never force it. So if it if you can't do it, you stop because forcing something to try to go viral or trying to force like something that isn't funny is way worse than not doing it at all. So it's always through that lens of like, does this actually make sense? But one example was we saw our competitor 
make a very funny reference to us at their largest conference, their largest user conference. And they called out our slogan and our billboard in front of their entire conference and kind of made fun of it, poke jest, you know. And we decided to take that clip and remix it and turn it into an ad. Then we added some beats and some backgrounds and our the slogan that he was referencing and it kind of went viral. So, you know, I think it's like an opportunity to take humor and like do things that people really appreciate. I think also people really appreciate in the industry like playful jousting. I think it benefits every company involved to actually do that. Even if you're on the receiving end of it, like to celebrate that sort of that jousting in a very competitive market space should just be acknowledged a little bit more. Like we're all in this space, like we can have a little bit of fun with it. And I think it's trying not to take yourself so seriously. And like, even if you're at the receiving end of it, celebrate the fact that it's been done because it's definitely daring marketing. It gets attention. And at the end of the day, I think it's good for both brands. Okay, let's get to the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, which you've already just talked about a fun dust-up, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in, in your career? In my career, I think being at hyper growth companies like that happens all the time. That's like how you learn to live with that type of tension because you're constantly in a growth mode and the company's changing every three months. So it's really hard to pinpoint like this one dust up because I feel like every three months there's dust ups and it's the fight to make sure that you're prioritizing the right things and not focused on the things that don't matter. And that's always going to be like a constant of evolution and iteration of what you're working on. I got to say, when I saw Cheddar come out, and was seeing it kind of all over back in 2016 or whatever. And I was just like, this is so obviously like the future of this exact type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. It felt so new and fresh and this quick hitting, you know, video first sort of approach. I was talking about earlier about sort of like the format of your content and the function of like why you're doing it and how you're doing it. I'm just curious to your thoughts on like multi-channel approach. It seems like Everybody consumes, whether it's podcasts or video series or micro shorts or longer form or serialized or episodic, whatever you choose to do, it seems like there's a bunch of different formats now of how people are consuming, especially like different generations. How do you think about just like multi-channel? Yeah, I mean, I think multi-channel is great because different people consume different content on different channels like that's a fact i think it can also be like a huge distraction depending upon like how you approach it i think you you really need to figure out what you can do very very well and try to double down and win on those channels rather than trying to to win on every single channel and my approach to like everything is like I, maybe, maybe this isn't the case anymore, but it always used to be like, we're looking to hit home runs. Like everything we do is a home run. And I think what actually matters more is when you're making a ton of smaller decisions and smaller things and smaller bets that ladder up to bigger ones where you're hitting doubles and triples every time where something is really well received or it does really well and that you're consistently doing that time over time. And then a lot of those things ladder up anyway to become like the big bets that that you're you know focusing on. So I think like multi-channel approach, like like we're definitely multi-channel, of course, like we have to be, everyone is. But I think what we put our focus on and what we double down on is like very important as a strategy moving forward because to win across every channel is just going to be impossible. I mean, outside of having an entire thousand person 
company focused on just a multi-channel approach, I think you need to figure out where your customers are, where your segments are, where you can win and, and really just focus there. Yeah, that's the same way I feel too. And I that's why I was curious about the cheddar piece where it's like you take a company like that or what you're doing at BuzzFeed or whatever, and you just think like it's so an actual media company whose job it is to create multi-channel content across every single place that you can win. Like even those companies don't do that well. CNN doesn't do it well everywhere. You know, like whoever, Fox News, all these people, yeah. like, they don't yeah. do it well in tons of different channels. So like the idea that you could do it with like your makeshift team, I think is we, we all see that that is, that is challenging, but it also makes this thing of say, well, what do we invest in? And maybe I just won't do it and I'll just make another webinar or something. Yeah, I think it's, we're always looking to push the boundaries of what we do. But I think like in relation to the channels where we think we can win, we do that better and we focus on that. But yeah, to your point, at BuzzFeed, we had a thousand people working on content all day, every day. And it was still like, you're still fighting against platforms. You're still struggling. I think it's just taking strategic bets and making sure that you you feel confident in winning. I mean, Cheddar was a bet on two things. It was a bet on the fact that that type of content had an audience and no one was doing it. It was a bet on a company that understood that like young people care about finance and tech and explaining it in a way that was built for them. And it was a bet on the future of of not people not having cable and cutting the cord with subscriptions because they have the option of choosing OTT and and creating their own bundles and packages of what they want to watch. And those were our bets. It was medium and format. So I think you're actually right. You're absolutely right. You know, pick your mediums and your formats and, and place bets there. Let's get to quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster, tap into your greatest asset, your website to create your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. It's quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. We love qualified. They're the best in the whole world. And a hundred plus episodes in, they're still here and we love them dearly. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Melissa, quick hits. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? talent or skill. I'm a great cook. I like to experiment with a lot of different fun, cool things, gastronomy. So, you know, very, very into cooking. Favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? I've really enjoyed a lot of the tech shows. We Crash, Super Pumped, The Theron of Bad Blood One. I was binging those for a while. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that might make you a better marketer? I mean, I would say like cooking in a way is just so creative. It's not like it helps with marketing, but it helps me free up my mind and also think about things that are not like unconventional in the way that you like work with food. And I love that. I think that baking is kind of a science and cooking is more of an art. So it helps me. I would say like creative writing a lot. That aspect of creative writing, nonfiction, poems helps me. And then I think just honestly, like finding inspiration in, in things that people are doing is Less like a hobby that helps, but more of a way that I internalize things like films, just consuming. I would say like consumption of media is certainly a big inspiration for me. I love taking bits and pieces of a lot of the things I see that I like and then figuring out how to apply them to this company, which is really fun because it's a B2B company, right? But there are so many things out there in the universe that have applications that if you think about it through the right lens, you can figure out really fun and creative ways to do that. I love it. I couldn't agree more. Any final advice for a first time chief creative officer or CMO that's trying to figure out their creative strategy? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say like first come in and see what you're working with. Obviously, the stage of the company and where the company wants to head is certainly something that should help inform like how you come out and market. Someone brought something up in a really funny podcast the other day where they could you have done what you did with a click up at, at and the answer is like, Obviously not. I would not have come into SAP and tried to put out my ClickUp playbook. So create a playbook that's unique to you, unique to the company, what makes sense for growth for that specific company. And I would say use data. Data is your friend. And think about what you strive to achieve and what the long-term goal is and how the brand presents itself currently and you know iterate from there. But don't come into to something and just try to like completely change it day one. I think slow, iterative process in steps. Don't discount the small decisions. All the small decisions matter so much. They matter almost more than large decisions you make because they become the backbone of how you build everything. So I think care and detail into everything that you do and and being strategic even on the, in, on the small decisions really has a huge impact later on. And everything that you see in the decisions you make day one will affect what you do a year from then. So don't discount that and build your own playbook. Melissa, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. For our listeners, go to clickup.com to learn more. Check out the website, scoot around a little bit, check out the learn tab, a lot of good stuff. Melissa, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. I talk a lot about kind of what we do with people, but I'm someone that is very, I would say, vocal or very active on LinkedIn. So follow me for ClickUp tips, advice, cool things, thoughts on marketing. You can find me very easily there. I use ClickUp. It's an all-in-one productivity platform that allows you to be more efficient and save more time with your work. So check out ClickUp if you haven't heard of it or haven't used it yet. I think you'll be really, really surprised at what it can do for you. I love it. Thank you again, Melissa. We really appreciate it and take care. Thank you. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.